United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Let us return to an issue of international concern, and this is something that doesn't get a lot of the attention, but we wanted to make sure you were aware of the uh, ongoing situation in Sudan where the president was overthrown recently. The military agreed to set up a temporary situation where they would be in charge, but people are looking to return to popular rule. And since about the 6th, I guess it's been about a week and a half, uh, they have seen a large mobilization, and it's been nonviolent. It's been an interesting thing to watch. We wanted to get the latest on that, so we turned to Susan Stigant, who is the Director of Africa Programs at the United States Institute of Peace. Twitter handle is at Susan Stigant. I'll spell it for you in a little bit. Susan, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. All right, so as I mentioned, the military overthrew the president. He's gone. The question is, first of all, do we know where he is? Um, The president was initially held um, under house arrest in Khartoum, in the capital of Sudan. Uh, The news this morning is that he's been transferred to one of the largest and most notorious prisons in Khartoum. So this is actually, um, I think, an important signal that the military council is moving towards some sort of accountability mechanism for um, former President Bashir. So who is in charge right now? Um, so the military council uh, uh, established themselves. It's been an incredibly fluid uh, six days. So it was the 11th when when Omar al-Bashir was removed um, from power. Um, initially, his minister of defense uh, announced that he would be leading the military council. That lasted for only 24 hours following very strong reactions from the hundreds of thousands of Sudanese who had gathered at uh, a military headquarters in Khartoum and had and committed to sit in until a civilian-led government was, was put in place. We're not yet at a civilian-led government, um, but the person who is now in charge, uh, General Burhan, um, was formerly in charge of leading the ground forces for the Sudanese military. Um, and there have been some additional shifts that, that suggest that the military council is open to some sort of negotiations with some of the opposition um, and and the Sudanese citizens and those who are pushing for a civilian-led transition. Susan, maybe you could fill us in a little bit. I'm sure a lot of people just think, oh, it's another country in Africa. Maybe you can give us a a little more fleshed-out version of what Sudan is and where it is and and, and then the situation, um, its its national profile, if you will, among nations of the world. Tell us a little more about Sudan. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, probably um, folks listening are most familiar with Sudan from its association from, from Darfur, which is its western part of the country that, that came into the media in a very significant way um, about 10 years ago uh, during the investigations, reports, and then charging of, of President Bashir by the International Criminal Court um, on crimes of genocide. Um, and so President Bashir was in power for 30 years. Uh, he came to power in a military coup um, in a country that is um, currently about 40 million people. Um, it sits right in a, in a very strategic neighborhood in, in East Africa. It bridges between the Horn of Africa, so Kenya, Ethiopia, um, Uganda, which are all strategic U.S. partners on the continent for peacekeeping operations, um, economic partnerships, um, and it bridges into uh, North Africa and shares a long border with Libya. 
And so what we see in Sudan at the moment isn't just about what's happening in the country. Um, certainly those, those who watch the country know that the future um, of the next couple of weeks can really tilt how the stability of the country will look. But it can also have far-reaching ramifications in the region um, and other locations like Libya that, that, are, that are priorities for the United States um, and into the Mediterranean um, and into Europe. Um, Sudan has also recently played an important role in, in peace processes or asserted a role in peace processes on the continent. Um, it is one of the main guarantors for the current peace agreement in South Sudan, um, which split away from the country in 2011 and became independent. Um, It also hosted a set of uh, peace negotiations for the Central African Republic, which is really the, if you can say, sort of the belly button of of Africa. So it's right in the center um, and is, is surrounded by a number of very challenging issues ranging from trafficking of um, illicit diamonds, um, armed groups, um, and surrounded by countries that are dealing with threats of violent extremism. Uh, and you noted, Susan, that uh, you know that it does share a border with with uh, Libya, but it also shares a long border with Egypt as well as right across the Red Sea from Saudi Arabia. And I wonder. You know, in some ways, I think it may in, in some ways be a part of the kind of the Middle East equation, or is that or is it totally in the in the Africa sphere? Give us a sense of where it figures into that. Indeed, I think that question is at the heart of some of the issues that Sudanese will have to grapple with themselves in terms of, of their identity. Many people talk about Sudan as, as Afro-Arab, um, and I think that's something people will have to determine is, is where they situate themselves. But Sudan is a place where um, I think there's a a significant risk that the rivalries and the tensions that we see in the Middle East and in the Gulf could really complicate the the courageous efforts of the Sudanese people who are pushing for a nonviolent and peaceful and civilian-led transition. And so uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Turkey have all traditionally been very engaged in Sudan um, in the farming industry. Um, which there's large tracts of agricultural land in the country um, engaged with uh, supporting um, some of the, the investment needs. China has significant interests in, in Sudan as well because the oil coming from South Sudan um, goes through a pipeline and is shipped out of the port in Sudan um, and China um, benefits and, and has um, receives the, the income from most of that, that oil that's moving out. So I think understanding the regional rivalries is really critical to giving space for what could be a, hopefully a, a transition in a positive direction. Susan Stigand with us as director of the Africa programs at the United States Institute of Peace, uh, an update on Sudan, which is in a key part of the world. It's a key country. And and the question is what the U.S. should do. And obviously, as you mentioned, they share a border with Libya, which has had its own issues. The United States with NATO allies had become involved in the situation there after the removal of Muammar Gaddafi from power. So one wonders if there might be a little buyer's remorse from that, and therefore there would be a little bit more standoffishness when it comes to dealing with Sudan, what the U.S. and its partners in Europe, in NATO or otherwise, can do to try to help to affect the change without getting overly involved. And if you have some thoughts on that, I'd love to hear them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, transitions are incredibly difficult, and we haven't quite figured out the right way to support them and engage around them. And so I think you're right, there's a, there's a real hesitance um, to, to engage in a deep way. Um, I think the first thing to look at is um, the role that the African Union, so the continental organization that's responsible for shared and collective peace and security on the continent, um, and they have clearly called for a transition to a civilian-led government. Um, they've given 15 days to the military council to develop a roadmap um, and, and agreed collectively in the African Union Peace and Security Council, which is the equivalent to the UN Peace and Security Council, that, that a civilian-led transition is the right path forward. So I think the United States um, historically follows and stands behind um, the African-led approach. And so I think that's, that's number one, is making sure that the African Union is supported in that direction. Um, I think this is going to take um, senior-level diplomatic engagement to deliver some very clear messages about what the United States expects that a transition should look like. Um, and this isn't, this isn't about um, being helpful or, doing, or just doing the right thing. Um, the U.S. has real strategic interests that are at play in this in this region, and Sudan is very pivotal. Um, the U.S. has been uh, starting a, a, a bilateral engagement to try to normalize relations because Sudan was and remains on the list of state sponsors of terrorism. And uh, so this is a moment to try to steer the country in the right direction as, as a key partner um, in counterterrorism efforts, but also potentially as a, as a key partner for stability um, in the continent and the Horn. So I think clear messaging about expectations of what the transition would look like. Um, the U.S. has leverage because um, any future government in Sudan will need tremendous investments to come out of their economic crisis. Inflation rates are over 70% in the country, um, and the U.S. holds the key to that. And so I think standing firm on some of those expectations is um, the right role to play, and it will require diplomatic engagement, um, but it's, that should be something that's within reach. Susan, I do appreciate you being here this morning. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, and thanks for bringing attention to this issue. Thank you. Susan Stigat, who's Director of Africa Programs at the United States Institute of Peace, the latest on Sudan, and you can find her on Twitter at Susan, S-T-I-G-A-N-T. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.